Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. True love, the cornerstone of a treasured marriage. How does the world, how does our world talk about the concept of love when it's applied to romantic relationships? What is the attitude? What's a typical expression you might hear when people talk about being in love, being married, being with their treasured, treasured loved one? What are some of the concepts you hear about love and what true love is? How does it affect them? What is the relationship like? What are the feelings that people go through? This is a time for you to contribute. I allow the awkward silence. Yeah, the world standards. What do people in the world say and think of and, and talk about when they talk about what love is? How love is manifested. All bliss. Never anything, Never anything bad ever. If you love me, everything will be happy, happy, happy. What else? You think it's an, emotion. an emotion as opposed to Action. actions. Okay. What else? What are some, some of the common misconceptions or just basically the perceptions of what love is. Say it again, please. How does it benefit me? So you think about love and relationships. It's thinking about you. It's you yourself. It's my love for you. It's me and you, you and me. No matter how we toss the dice, it's how it's meant to be, to quote the 60s song. It's affection for you. It's, it's memes that I want to send to you. It's your voice. It's your smile. It's love for you. Love is physical attraction. It's a warm, tingly feeling. It's a rise in temperature whenever the object of your affection is near. Samson had that in Judges 13. David had that in 2 Samuel 11. But what happens when the beauty fades? Love is having fun together. If a difficulty arises, sickness in a spouse or a child, a death in a family, 22% of parents of children with developmental disabilities experience divorce. The divorce rate among couples that suffer the loss of a child is about 16%. There's another mistaken notion. If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll accept my ideas without question or comment. You must know and reflect my love language. More on that next week, love languages. Sometimes that person's love is not enough, like the little Tyrannosaurus Rex pictured here. I love you this much. Well, that, that's really not a lot. That's not enough. <clears throat> or I love you till I don't. I've actually heard of that being used in marriage ceremonies. That's a very dystopic view of marriage, isn't it? Of relationships. 
There is a song by Lanny called Till I Don't. Let's be real, realistic. I'm the one with more to lose. There you go, I admit it. No one I want more than you. But let's do the math. Nine times out of ten, it don't last. Even as friends, even as friends. The year we've had's already a win, yeah. Gonna give it my all, see how far this can go. Gonna be there for you through the highs and lows. But I'll never say forever, cause it's too much we don't know. But I promise that I'll love you. Promise that I'll love you till I don't. Love you till I, till I don't. And of course, something you see on the yard signs, love is love. So, what happens when these notions of love fade away? Married couples can feel like roommates. Some decide to find their true love, their soulmate elsewhere. Thousands of marriages are unhappy, unwanted, or broken because love was simply a feeling. If our definition of love is a little bit more than warm fuzzies, physical attraction, and the ability to have fun together, our relationships may not demonstrate how much you love the other person, but how much you love yourself. What you have found is a person who helps you love you better than anyone else has. That is sobering and scary. What are the main set of verses that you may have used in your marriage? I'm looking for one in particular. Give you a clue, it's the New Testament. Give you a clue, it's a point of Paul's writings. I'll give you a clue, it's in the book or the letter he wrote to the town of Corinth. First Corinthians 13. Yes, thank you, Dad. That's excellent. Boy, that's great. Yeah, it put me out of my misery. That's terrific. Well, how the Bible, let's talk about how the Bible defines love. The Lord may be showing you that your definition is lacking so that your heart can see our need to depend on Christ for the love that we need to give to our spouse. The more excellent way of true biblical love, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to be looking at those verses, and that's what all the blanks are on the first page of your notes. 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a profound and practical picture of biblical love. These do not represent the sum total of biblical love, but this chapter is one of the most extended discussions of love found anywhere in the Bible. And if you would, open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, because we're going to talk about each one of these characteristics in order. So let's go through each characteristic. I want to encourage you as disciples or followers of Jesus Christ to ask yourself and your beloved where you need to more enthusiastically manifest each characteristic of biblical love. So first, love is patient. When you and I are tempted to be angry with our loved one, it's easy to justify our actions and carry them out quickly. Can we turn that hurt over to the Lord who bought us and not lash out. Proverbs 19.11 has a great contrast. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is glory to overlook an offense. So in the little image that we have on the overhead, you see patience being a series of steps to reach the final goal and the final reward. Next, love is kind. Love is kind. It's not just passive behavior, but positive action towards someone. On their honeymoon, a man said to his wife that she would be more attractive if she lost 20 pounds. 
doesn't sound very kind to me. It's not a reciprocal relationship, is it? Are you and I able to fight the inherent selfishness which can consume us? Do we look for ways to be encouraging, complimentary, and affectionate, even if you and I don't immediately receive the rewards? It's an honest question we need to ask ourselves. Love is not jealous. Sometimes it's not another person but a husband or wife who can have an idol of being the center of attention, having the ambition, drive, and obsession focused on career or sustaining a public image can make a spouse feel like a second fiddle giving room to resentment. You may be susceptible to pursuit of a higher love or feeling resentment because of perceived neglect. Is our ride down the road of love completely free from the perils of ending up in either ditch? Solid biblical love is secure, content, and focused on worthy objects of attention. Next, love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Some couples fall into a one-upmanship contest. Who has the most important job? Who does more chores at the house? Who brings in more money, has a better relationship with family members? Like the disciples arguing about who is greater, couples who fall into this wicked habit fail to exhibit Christ-like humility and a service mindset. Relationships can be destroyed over petty comparisons and criticisms. Next, love does not act unbecomingly or rude. Men and women can fall into the malicious trait of being rude or overbearing. Do you talk over your spouse? If you recognize that you do that, like I do at times, I have to apologize. And I say, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Please continue your thought. Is their opinion of less value or importance than yours? Stories you tell to others, do they shed your spouse in a good light or merely make you look good at their expense? Does our callousness cause the one our soul loves to be put to shame. There's a wonderful quote from John Piper in this momentary marriage. He says, I can be free from shame for two conceivable reasons. One conceivable but unreal reason is that I am perfect and have nothing to be ashamed of. The other reason I could be free from shame is that even though I am imperfect, I have no fear of being disapproved by my spouse. So the question here is this. Is our thinking focused on ourselves, our comfort, and how others need to serve us, or do we leap at the chance to show honor to the object of our affections 
by helping without being asked, anticipating their needs. Do you have situational awareness for your fiancé, for your husband, for your wife? Do you anticipate that they need a tissue, a napkin, a glass of water? Our Lord was meek and lowly. He was gracious and serving, although he is the king of glory. Next. Love does not seek its own. Too often, we fall into the trap of expecting that everyone will anticipate and serve our every desire. How easy it is to daydream that, at the end of a busy day, our entire family will treat us like royalty. Yes, you may fetch my pipe and slippers. Yes, I expect dinner to be on the table when I get home. I don't know what you're going to do with a pipe and slippers at dinner, but, you know, there you are. One of my favorite illustrations is the next one. How many of you remember Katie Kaboom? Animaniacs? Anyone? No? Katie Kaboom, Katie Kaboom, lives in a house with flowers in bloom. Her family knows that anytime soon, little lady Katie goes kaboom. And so this character in the Animaniacs Warner Brothers production went from the image on the left sweet Katie Kaboom to the monster on the right. Love is not easily provoked. Did you ever feel like you had to walk on eggshells? Some people only see things that are harmful or annoying in others. The other person is the reason for our horrible life and worthy of your venom. Are you easily irritated by your spouse? They leave their clothes on the floor. They don't close the drawers in the kitchen. They don't move the cup from the sink to the dishwasher that's right next to them. The toothpaste tube. Do you get angry at those things? Or are we able to overlook Irritations, knowing that others give you grace. God is immeasurably gracious to us. Proverbs 12:16 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Next, love does not keep a record of wrongs. And like this illustration says, this gentleman has a record of everything that he's angry about. One of the quickest ways to undermine a good relationship of any sort is to keep a record of slights, grudges, and hold others hostage to an unforgiving spirit. Grace experienced is the hemi engine of the ability to keep a short record of such things. I'm going to give you a real-life example from Jay Adams. And I'm going to ask you to answer the questions, how would you advise this couple? as individuals. And also, how would you advise the counselor in this situation? Here's the example. This is from the Christian Counselor's Casebook by Jay Adams. Herman tried to commit suicide. He and his wife Lottie are having serious marital problems. 
Lottie brought the pastor a six-page itemized and dated list of Herman's problems. Discussion of this took the first session completely. The next week, Lottie had a list of Herman's sins that filled three more pages, while hers were written on one side of a three-by-five index card. The third week, Lottie had made up a schedule for Herman and was prepared to implement it. During the fourth week, Lottie called to say that Herman had tried again to take his life and went on for the next 30 minutes detailing all of his activities that filled the hour preceding Herman's attempt. She then provided a list of six things to talk about when the pastor went to see him at the hospital. So, like Paul said to the Romans, I am convinced that you are filled with all goodness, able to admonish one another. How would you address Lottie? How would you address Herman? What would you say to their counselor? Were you a little surprised at the six pages followed by three pages? Especially after getting a small index card? What would you say to Lottie? I think she needs to start her own list for her own shortcomings. Her own list for her own shortcomings. Good counsel. What else? Would you offer this couple hope? You should always offer hope. No matter what the circumstance, you can encourage the person or persons that there is hope that God is able to work through the difficulties of the heart. What would you advise to this counselor? Think the man needs to grow a spine? (laughs) Think he needs to address Lottie a little bit? Yeah. That's a real that's a real scenario. And I've actually known a few couples like this. Excellent. So Deb is saying that the husband has allowed this wife's opinion to drive his opinion of himself. And it is extremely difficult if you're beaten down like this, isn't it? You know, to, to not let that happen. Well, again, 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but in the truth. And in this image, we see a snowman that's very delighted that the other snow person is melting. Pride can make us fall into one-man-upmanship. Do we delight in pointing out the errors, foibles, or sin of our beloved? How often instead do we praise the object of our affection for doing, saying, being what is right, honorable, worthy of praise? 
Some people who are delighted with their own discerning abilities and gifts of distinguishing of spirits can fall prey to a self-righteous spirit and a tunnel vision that keeps them from seeing dangers around us resulting in lack of kindness, compassion, charity, and love. Love bears all things. Are you irritated by little things that your life partner does? The word used here in the Greek properly means to cover. Love bears all things. To cover like a roof and then to hide, conceal, and not make known. If this be the sense here, then it means that love is, dis is disposed to hide or conceal the faults and imperfections of another. Not to promulgate or blazon them abroad or to give any undue publicity to them. In Eden... God covered the shame of the first fallen couple by hiding the perfection that was lost. The idea of covering is also used of the mercy seat or atonement. As a disciple of the master, does your love emulate the gracious, forgiving work of Christ who buries our sins in the deepest sea? How his glorious righteousness, his wondrous splendor of love has covered all our faults and all their consequences, treating us as if he saw, saw no sin in us. And finally, love believes all things. This does not mean that those who love believe silly things. For our spouse's love will drive us to believe the best of them. There are some of us who are prone to suspicion and mistrust. Though everything may be pure and right, certain minds wrestle with the notion that all is wrong and rotten. It is a blight upon all peace. The best person is suspected of being a scheming and conniving hypocrite. They themselves are honest as the day is long. And the smallest fault or error in others is frightfully exaggerated. Do you believe that with all their faults, your spouse is among the best person in the world? True love believes good of others as long as it ever can. And when it is forced to fear that wrong has been done, love does not automatically sentence, but gives the accused the benefit of the doubt. And love hopes all things. Think about the beginning. Everything was going to be perfect. Like the words of the Song of Solomon, you would tell everyone, I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him and would not let him go. That the Shulamite was anxious to introduce the object of her affection to her mother you were like that as well at one time. Today, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you forgive 70 times 7 and believe that God is indeed working in your spouse to complete the work begun. Progressive sanctification is not just a theoretical concept. It's a wonderful encouragement that each and every one of us, as God's children, will grow. And finally, love endures all things. The little bird is holding up under a winter storm. There will be storms in the lives of Christ's disciples. There will be difficulties in addition to delight, chaos, complementing the storm. For those who reflect the image of the Creator, for those who are growing more and more after the likeness of their Savior, who endured the cross and despised the shame, you and the one you love can, by God's grace, weather the storm and come out stronger, more resilient, and able to be a blessing specifically because... His love has sheltered you during that storm, enabling you to thrive, survive, and testify of His enabling you to do all things through Christ who strengthens you.
Kim and I are very different. I don't know if you ever noticed that. She came from a home, stable home with a godly heritage. My family life was chaotic and filled with abuse, addiction, and shame. She became a believer at a young age, and I had a dramatic conversion in my late teens. She is quiet and reserved, steady. Me? Eh, not so much. You probably have and can list similar distinctives in your own relationships, right? Some of us are very outgoing, very creative. Our life partner may be very quiet, very stable. So the question is, how are we different? And how do these differences manifest in a marriage? Well, on a most basic level, when it comes to differences, we need to remember three things. First, God is in absolute control of the details of our lives. God is in absolute control of the details of our lives, Acts 17, 24 through 27. Second, he has a purpose for the situations and locations in which he places us. The very familiar passage, Romans 8, 28 through 31. And third, marriage is indeed one of God's primary ways and tools of personal growth and change. Here we see the, so the way of a sovereign who cares for us. Like Adam was complimented by Eve, as many times as you might question why you ever married each other, like my wife stands amazed that we ever got married <laughs> because of these differences, the fact is that we've been given to each other as suitable to help fulfill his calling and our time together. We can and should and will grow together as our Lord fills in the gaps. There is a way in which your differences will be used by the same sovereign matchmaker to cement us together and reflect His majesty, power, and grace. Well, the love of God in Christ is essential to the treasured marriage. And if you forget anything else from this lesson, I hope that you will camp here for quite a while. God demonstrates his penultimate expression of love through forgiveness. Again, God demonstrates the penultimate expression of love through forgiveness. We've been covering 1 John in the sermons. Turn, if you would please, in your Bibles, your copies of God's Word, to 1 John chapter 4. And I want to highlight for us in this lesson, verse 10. Verse 10 says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, the satisfaction of wrath. Justly deserved wrath. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Outside of the grace of God in Christ, we are alienated and hostile rebels fighting against God, His creation, and each other in a fight to the death battle for our own supremacy. Even as couples, as individuals, and as couples. 
The verses we just read cause the fog of our war to clear, enabling us to see that God has become the great peacemaker. Our marriages will only reflect truly the nature and character of our loving and merciful Heavenly Father if each of us know the joy, the delight, the freedom and liberation of God's willingness and power to liberate and forgive sinners, including our friend, our fiancé, our wife, our husband, our spouse, our partner, our mate. Dave Harvey, in his great book, When Sinners Say I Do, or his follow-up book, I Still Do, which books I would definitely recommend, especially the first one. If you don't have it, you'll see in the final notes there that I do recommend you go out, get it, and read it together. Set some time together on your date night. Read through this book. Most helpful. It is a freed captive. Well, Dave Harvey says, a great awareness of one's sinfulness often stands side by side with great joy and confidence in God. Another quote from when sinners say I do, forgiven sinners forgive sin. It is the freed captive that understands and truly appreciates the destruction of the bonds to an inescapable and terrifying judgment. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound by sin and nature's might. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That hymn, that sentiment, is that freedom and liberation of someone who has recognized the liberating effect of God who forgives sin. As stated before, the familial, cultural, traditional, sexual differences we bring with us are minuscule compared to the guerrilla warfare to which our idolatrous, self-serving hearts will drive us. From our marriages, our homes to be, for our marriages, our homes to be treasured refuge of love reflecting God's glory and mercy, we must not have rose-colored but Christ-centered, redemptive-focused glasses through which we grow in understanding of our own remaining wickedness and the fallen nature of our wife, our husband, and the little ones that God may grant us. For the marriages of Christians, this disciple, these disciples of Jesus, this is essential. Harvey again, marriage is the union of two people who arrive toting the luggage of life, and that luggage always contains sin. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. Are you and I content to simply accept the world's snarky battle of the sexes? Are we content to do that? And just say, that's just the way it is. And are we to continue denigrating the gift God has given us in our spouses by rolling our eyes and telling the husband or wife jokes or are we dedicated to recognizing God's amazing plan to use our marriage to reflect His glory, His reconciling heart? Show to the world a mirror of His forgiving covenant relationship with His people. 
I think that we have this quote on here, this next quote from Dave Harvey. Do you have it on your paper? If you can't read it on the screen, let's read it from your paper together, okay? Because I think this is powerful. Let's read this together, out loud. Do you know God as a God of mercy? Do you see your spouse as God sees him or her? Through eyes of mercy. If your answer to either question is no, it is unlikely that your marriage is sweet. Mercy sweetens marriage. Where it is absent, two people flog one another over everything from failure to fix the faucet to phone bills. But where it is present, marriage grows sweeter and more delightful even in the face of challenges, setbacks, and the persistent effects of our remaining sin. In the 1970s film, Love Story, there is one line that unfortunately still lives to this day. Anybody remember that story and that line? Love means never having to say you're sorry. Did you catch that? Love means never having to say you're sorry. I guess hogwash is the best Christian term that I can use to describe that. While there are many things for which we do not expect a pound of flesh from our spouse, asking for forgiveness, extending forgiveness, repenting to demonstrate an appreciation of receiving forgiveness, not bringing the issue back up after you've extended forgiveness. These are all higher, truer, and more powerful expressions of love and forgiveness which are timeless. Little picture there. And it goes on both sides. It's hard to destroy a relationship if you continually forgive every offense. We need to let the love of Christ shine in us to reflect His ultimate, penultimate love by demonstrating forgiveness. Asking for forgiveness. Saying, I forgive you. Say those words. Don't say, oh, it's all right. Say those words. Confess your sin and move on in peace. Do it now. Do it now. Treasuring your marriage as a disciple of Christ requires action. Here are a few steps we can take right away. Consider how and why both of your expectations of marriage have changed. Is it because of disappointments or maturity? If you can, identify how your growth as a Christian transformed your thinking about you and your spouse. Secondly, look back on your life before marriage. What history did you bring to married life? Consider the same for your spouse and how you were both unaware of what was included in the language that was brought with you or that you unwittingly dragged along.